Hello, and welcome to the Overland Journal podcast. I am your host, Scott Brady, and for this week's conversation, we're going to go into the principles of overlanding building a 70 Series Land Cruiser. The 70 Series Land Cruiser is iconic, and it is currently the gold standard for around-the-world vehicle builds. And this is because the vehicle is not only extremely durable, but it's also exceptionally reliable. And in various forms, it's also very easy to live and operate out of, including in very technical terrain. Personally, I've used 70 series Land Cruisers around the world. We used a 78 series to take the same four-wheel drive to all seven continents with the Expedition 7 trip. So we, we go into my experience with the 70 series, but this conversation would be incomplete without an expert on the subject. And for that, we have Paul Marsh. Paul is extremely experienced with the 70 series and he understands a lot of the weaknesses of the platform. So he talks at length about how to prepare a 70 series for long distance travel. The systems that he uses, the issues in in the vehicle that he addresses in various ways, but we really take a pragmatic approach, a very simple approach towards the vehicle because it benefits from not being overbuilt despite its capacity for load. This is a very important conversation about a very important vehicle, so please enjoy our principles of overlanding, building a 70 series Land Cruiser. And a special thanks to Rocky Talkies for their support of this week's podcast. Rocky Talkies are backcountry radios designed by a small team in Denver. The radios are extremely rugged, easy to use, and compact, weighing in at just under 8 ounces. They have a range of 1 to 5 miles in the mountains and up to 25 miles line of sight. The batteries will last from 3 to 5 days, and you can recharge them easily via USB-C right in the vehicle. Our team uses Rocky Talkies, and we also used them recently at the Overland Expo. The next Overland Expo, stop into our booth and say hello and check out the radios for yourself. And as a listener of the Overland Journal podcast, you can get 10% off a pair by going to rockytalkie.com forward slash Overland Journal. Thanks again, Rocky Talkie. So thank you, Paul Marsh, for being on the podcast again. Uh, for those that are listening, uh, you can you can listen to Paul's story and a lot of his advice in general around overlanding in uh, one of our previous podcasts. But today we're going to go through the principles of overlanding, building a 70 series Land Cruiser. And if I was to say, if there was a single vehicle that I had the most respect for in overlanding, it would be a 70 series Land Cruiser. Uh, for me personally, uh, I've trusted my life to those models yeah, yeah. on seven continents and I've owned many 70 series and they have been a source of joy and dependability and uh, adventure for me I do. throughout so the last couple decades. So let's start off with what was your first experience with the 70 series that you, that's notable that you remember? Yeah, Scott, it's such an interesting story. And thank you for having me on the podcast yes. again. It's great to be able to connect with you and see you after so many yeah, years know, we haven't I seen know. each other. I know. Although um, it seems like it was just yesterday. Yeah, yeah. And that's a 70 series that's, story that's too, a series series which we'll get to, which we'll get to. <laughs> so I done my trip through Africa and came back into Botswana where I was living. And I had my eye on a 70 series Troopy, well a 78, but yes. it, was, it was an old one. It was left-hand drive, 
And uh, I just saw this truck and I, I just knew I had to own this truck, but I, I couldn't quite afford it. And then it was a question of how was I going to buy this truck? And you know, I have a firm belief that if you visualize something, you can create anything that you want. Yeah. And I absolutely use it day in, day out. I use it with my, my hobbies. I, I fly paramotors and, mm. and I visualize my you are my training. I'm so <laughs> that is like, I, like our, our, do South Africans get a param? Paraglider, like when paramotor sailor, when they when, you're bored, when they're yeah. born, no, when you're bored, <laughs> it's, it's like it's part of the package. <laughs> is the paraglider, and then when you can walk, you get the paramotor, <laughs> and then and then you're 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 uh, you're you're christened in a in a cage with a great white or something like that. It's near enough, yeah, yeah. And we pretend not to be too rugged. <laughs> that is so funny. Oh, that gosh. is such that is such a common thing for South Africans, for sure. It's true, I guess, in a way. But yeah, so. Visualizing is really powerful. And then this was a dream. I wanted this truck. And a friend of mine who I'd known for a long time, and he said, listen, you know what? Let's build this truck up together. Let's build this amazing truck. And I've come back from this amazing expedition, one and a half years, traveling yeah. through Africa. And that was in a Hilux, wasn't it? It was in a Hilux. Yeah. You know? So a Hilux, no, a Hilux, a simple Hilux, solid axle in the front. Okay, it had all leaf springs. But it was a strong, trusty truck. They're not strong, as in as in uh, solid for a lot of weight. But it was a reliable vehicle. Sure. You know what I broke on it was through ignorance and overweight and sure. mistakes I made. But seeing that and knowing that the next truck we could have would need to be something stronger, mm -hmm. something that could really just pound those hard roads. You know, when you drive on some of the roads and the corrugations are endless, and you know this poor vehicle's taking an absolute beating. Um, you know, you're looking for a truck that's going to be solid. That's Sim right. Simple, that's a right. simple, solid, reliable truck. That's right. If I can put it back to that. And, you know, the 70 Series has got a lot of value in, in what they have. Mm -hmm. I guess the Troopy is one of my favorite trucks. Yeah. The truck behind us is a Troopy, and we build a lot of Troopies for clients. You know, people can live inside and out of a Troopy. It's and, such a unique configuration, yeah. and and it was the vehicle that we chose for Expedition yeah. Seven. Greg and I did, was yeah. and a good a good good choice, really, yeah. because I mean, you you built that and adapted it to cater for a lot of different scenarios. Yeah, and I think you know when I look at all the vehicles that are available, and you know I've I have owned most a lot of them, different ones and times in my life. Um, currently, I have two eighties, mm -hmm. which I'm very passionate about. But good ride ball, yeah. Yeah, they, they're good. They, the 80s are different, and they, they're a great. It's a classic vehicle, and mm -hmm. I guess that's part of what I like about it. But, you know, when we build the true piece, there's a lot of uh, value in how you can build it. Mm. Because what you're doing is you're creating a small home. And this small home takes you to the remote places you want to go and explore. Mm -hmm. and, and the challenge is to build it in a way that you can you can use it in a comfortable way. You can get what you need. You're not going to be sitting on top of each other. So you've got a very limited space. I mean, you know, the True. vehicle's not wide. It's not too long. You're sleeping in it. You could eat in it. You could, you know, I guess in Africa, you live more around the vehicle and outside because the weather's good. When the weather's bad, you're confined to the truck. You can find some respite for sure. Yeah. And so that was your first one. And I'm trying to, I mean, the first time that I ever drove a 70 series was when I, I had the amazing fortune of being sponsored to race in the Outback Challenge in Morocco, in Africa. 
and Patrice Ryder, who is a wonderful, wonderful human being, um, took a huge chance on chance on me. George Caruso's also from Extreme Outback in the United States, who's the one who introduced me to Patrice. But Patrice basically said he wanted to bring over the uh, you know an American driver that could also generate some content and he handed me the keys to a pzj 73 with uh with uh 35 inch tires and a and a fast winch and and a good suspension and and uh and that was my first exposure to driving that's that's capable and it was and that was in 2006 and it was so early on in my travels i mean i had really not traveled to Europe other than when I went there in the military. Uh, and I actually just didn't even know if France was right or left-hand drive. I, can, <laughs> I, can't remember, I couldn't remember. I didn't know. I just didn't. This was so early days for me. Um, and the things that that 70 series endured yeah. in race conditions, very technical conditions, you know, technical terrain, winching, everything else like that, unbelievable how strong they are. And that's the thing. I think, you know, you hit the nail on the head there. They're strong. Yeah, they're strong. They've got a ladder chassis. It's a strong chassis. You know, good engines. The, the Toyota engines have always been good. Maybe yeah. a bit underpowered in certain mm-hmm. circumstances, but it you know, makes them reliable. They're though. reliable. Yeah. yeah, you know, you you drive to the place and you have probably the best vehicle you could have yeah. wandering around the bush. Yeah, and it doesn't take away. You get great vehicles all around. You know, mm. it's just in particular. I think if I have to look at Africa uh, as a footprint and probably Australia too, the Toyota has dominated that mm. platform in a big way. I think, you know, thanks to Toyota, they've done a lot of work on putting dealerships and supply. But the, the reality goes down to the reliability. It does. If I, if I spoke to hunters in Africa, when I, question, when I went through Africa on my, my big trip, um, the initial one, I was fascinated with the weak points of vehicle. Yeah. So I'd stop off Toyota dealerships hunting camps sure wherever i could find you know what are the problems on the trucks and i you know i got to learn what the weaknesses were sure and the 70 series had very few weaknesses i mean you'd see them if they were tired you know and i find when i see today when tired I, means a half, tired a million, means half, a half million. a million kilometers well they kind of run in at about a hundred thousand maybe more you know <laughs> yeah. and i genuinely mean that you know if yeah. you take these engines and you drive them, people people cringe when you say, I've taken a vehicle of 500,000 kilometers and yeah. build it into a truck. Yeah. I'm going, actually, if it's not burning oil and it's not smoking and do the injectors and put a tiny belt pump on, sure. it's going to keep going. So And they do. They do, yeah. But I think, you know, if you look at uh, sort of the workhorse of Africa, the Land Cruiser has to be one of the vehicles that's very respected in that, in that field. And I believe that a lot of travelers, their primary consideration around a vehicle is reliability. I don't want it to break down with yeah. on me in the middle of nowhere. And if I do have a problem, I want to be able to service it. So that's where Toyota has such an advantage because it is the least likely to fail. Yes. And then if it does, there are Toyota dealerships around the world yeah. uh, that oftentimes sell, sell the same vehicle, particularly if you're doing long overland trips if you're in south america you're going to be able to get parts for 70 series if you're in south africa you're going to be able to get parts for 70 series same with australia or anywhere else that really comes to mind for the most part there there are very few markets that don't sell that vehicle other than in 
in North America, which is so sad. Oh, which you know, is so sad. That's but it, so sad. Yeah. You know, and it's and it you know it's it's not Toyota's fault. You know, there's you and me and Greg Miller and about 15 other guys <laughs> who want that, one. <laughs> that want that would really buy one. Yeah. Um, they're just and that I guess it is also important for us for those that are listening. It's important to talk about the downsides of the yeah, 70 series, yeah, which absolutely. the the one that really stands out to me is that it is not. You, you talk a lot about you know, is it safe? Is it reliable? You know, and for me, one of the challenges of the 70 series is it's a less safe car on the road. It is. Yeah. It is, it is much higher um, center of gravity. It's a very narrow track. They've kept the track fairly similar um, to the Land Cruisers throughout history. So um, the braking is a little underpowered then you also run into the problem where the rear axle is a different track width than the front, which can actually create dynamic situations, especially in mud and ruts. And you feel it. You actually feel it. And I think that's the the challenge. You know, yes, you can overcome that problem a few different ways. And, you know, there's there's no right or wrong solution to that. It's about how you approach it. Um, But the point is, in my mind, that should have been fixed long ago by Toyota. It should have been. They widened the front axle to accommodate the V8. Yep. At that point, they should have widened the axle at the rear. Yep. And Toyota, if you're listening, widen the rear axle. Yeah. We're tired of having to make compromises and fix it. Yeah. You know? So that's probably the one. It's, is it a downside? Yes, it is a bit of a downside. Is it a weakness? Yes, because if you're going to repair that axle width, uh, correction. You've only got a couple of ways to do it. You're yeah. either going to fit an axle that's made wider, yes. and now you limit the same problem with if you break something or damage something, that's you right. can't repair it. That's right. You need special parts, a longer drive shaft you know, right. that goes through. And if you put spaces on, which is an option, you've got to be very responsible at how you manage and look after mm-hmm. it. Because Constantly yeah. making sure that they're to torque. Exactly. Um, and that, you know, people question the whole what's right and wrong. There isn't a right and wrong. It's yeah. about are you going to manage it responsibly? Yeah. You know, it's like scuba diving. I taught scuba diving for years, and, and I always said to people, it's the safest sport until you break a rule. Okay? <laughs> yeah, sure. Break the rule and you'll die. Simple. Yeah, very good chance so, to die. Yeah, that's yeah, right. Exactly. So, you know, when you look at what can go wrong, um, we manage that. You know, as you say, it's narrower. Uh, it's got higher center of gravity. Higher yeah. center of gravity. So, again, so ride you know, qual- the ride quality isn't quite that of, like, if you were to take a 200 series Land Cruiser, it would be safer. It would be just as reliable. It yeah. would be. It yeah. would be safe. It would be safer for sure. Um, and not as practical to build up. That's I the think challenge. That's, they have yeah. less interior space yeah. and they're more, more expensive. And they're more complicated. Yeah. So what you've got with you know the, what we're still quite fortunate about in South Africa is we can still buy the these trucks with a very basic engine. Mm. The classical one HZ. Uh, engine is a beautiful engine because yeah. it's it's reliable and it will do normally the- aspirated and that's yeah. important for no people turbo. to know there's no turbo and in general although you will hear significant banter on the internet about people who will turbo these engines in general it's not a good idea yeah you know the thing is we've done it mm-hmm. um, when you do something like that again it's a massive responsibility on the driver you put everything in place to try and make sure that you mitigate any danger or damage to the engine ultimately you will damage the motor in some way that's right so it's better if you had a choice i mean what we do and have done is we've taken some of the older engines Mm -hmm. because we want the simplicity so we've taken engines out of the 80 series 
the 12 1HT T motor or the 24 valve 1HT FT motor, both mechanical injection pumps, and we've dropped them into the Troopy. Now it you've got a turbo diesel, yeah. and you've got a, you can put it back to full permanent four-wheel drive, stronger gearbox. So yeah, the 70 series, these Troopies, they had some weaknesses on the gearbox. I think for if you bought a brand new truck, in the lifetime you own it, you probably wouldn't notice that. If you've bought an old one, we always pull the boxes apart to inspect them, and that's probably when you do the the, the sort of upgrades. Yeah, sure. You know, and so when we drove the 78s um, in Expedition 7, we had a single failure in the entire trip, and it was not a reliability issue. It was actually the, the, the brush on the canning stock route actually... Um, wore down the wiring on the rear locker solenoid. It actually yeah. it actually ground it down <laughs> until they shorted out and it stopped working. So it wasn't even a piece of plastic yeah. in 80,000 kilometers and seven continents um, with those vehicles. Unbelievable, the, yeah. the reliability of that platform and the interior space like you talk about because we slept inside the vehicle. So being able to sit upright yeah, inside of a yeah. wagon you also remove the passenger rear doors, which saves weight. It gives the structure better integrity. It actually improves a little bit of security, particularly if you go with with a wagon with a, a van style. Yeah. Well, it is very much. You've got the two front doors, two yeah. doors at the back here, and so you're quite right. You don't have as much accessibility. Yeah. But when you're building a vehicle, these are built for two people. Yeah. So, you know, you're not building it for three or four. And no. if you are, it's a compromise. So yeah. And we've done it. We had it compromised. Yeah. We kept the rear seats so we can take passengers. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, it's, it, there isn't, people often ask, what is the most ideal vehicle you could possibly have? There isn't one. Yeah. Okay. Because your needs and, and the needs. So you've got to learn to be flexible. So, and that also comes in a number of ways. You know, these have two fuel tanks. So they're two 90-liter fuel tanks, which is fantastic. Fantastic. Do you, do you need more fuel than that? You don't. And if you do for one small trip or one big trip, should we say, take a few jerry cans. Yeah. Add it into the tank and probably give those cans away. And That's right. You don't have to worry about it. And you're done with it. And then water, what we've done in this particular one, we've actually rotomolded our water tanks. So we've got water tanks in the cavities. The left and right cavities are 25 liters on each side. Perfect and a 50 liter tank at the back behind the rear tank. Mm. So now all the water, 100 liters of water and 20 liters in a lifesaver jerry can gives us enough water capacity. So you've got enough water and enough fuel. Those are your two heavy payloads. Mm -hmm. And these can carry the payload. So if you have to, there's three different models, or four actually, if you've got the 79 single cab, mm -hmm. double cab 79, you've got the 76 wagon, which mm -hmm. is similar to this with four doors. Yeah. And it's a nice car. It's a nice car because it's well balanced. Mm -hmm. The roof's not quite as high. You can build it out for two people. A little bit shorter wheelbase. Yeah. 200 millimeter shorter. So yep. your roof sleeping capacity is a bit shrunk. Uh, here in South Africa, we a couple of companies do roof conversions for them. So you can still cut the roof off and put a, yeah. a roof where you can access it from inside. So the one advantage of building a vehicle like the 76 Troopy is that you can have access to your sleeping accommodation from yeah. inside. Now for some people, that's really valuable. Yep. You come down at night, you can have a portaloo in the middle of the aisle. You can, you don't have to get out the truck. You know, yep. you're basically, you could sit down, you could make a coffee. So that's the one way of looking at it. It definitely, it, from my experience, it seems to be the most common long trip 
two person yeah. platform is the 78. You know, and then you can even get a 70, which is a two door short wheelbase. Yeah. And those are super they're, charming. They're, they're great. They're rare. Super, the old ones. <laughs> very rare, super charming. And then for a period of time, they made a mid wheelbase. So they made a 73 and a 74. Yeah, I raced the 73. I owned a 74 with really? a 13 okay. BT. Yeah. And we drove that for the longest time, right hand drive. We got it out of Japan. And then they even had the light duty 70 series. Yes. So they had a 71 yeah. and a 77. So, no, actually a 78. I had an LJ78. So it had like basically Hilux or Forerunner drivetrain yes. in it, um, the small 2LTE diesel light duty five speed. It had the heavy duty. Land Cruiser transfer case, but then it had the light duty Hilux axles. So that was another variant of the 70 series. So there's so many, but if you're looking to buy something used to travel yourself or with one other person, I tend to push people towards the 78. Would you feel like that that's... I think for two people, it's probably one of the vehicles that you could take. There's two, two things to consider. And I'll ask the question to my clients. I go, are you wanting to travel out of Africa? Mm. Because okay, if you want to go to South America, you're going to need a turbo motor mm. in some form. Because okay. the elevation. Because the elevation. Yeah. So, you know, if you drive the 1HZ, and we can't in South Africa get the petrol version of these, in, and we can't get the V8 version of this. Now, you know, I'm not going to knock the V8, but the V8 is a sensitive engine with the fuel quality of fuel you have. So you have to be much more careful with the We experienced that. We would have to change filters much more yeah. often. Yeah. You're changing filters more often. You've got to, you know, manage your fuel, check the fuel quality and that. So if they're not traveling to South America, then, you know, the 1.8 said it's not going to be fast. Right. You're going to know that when you're coming up behind a big truck, you may not have the power to overtake as you'd like, but it's never going to let you down. Mm. And the clients we've actually swapped engines out and done those conversions here gives them that extra power, which is very nice, mm. but it's an expense. You yeah. know, it's quite an expense. Do you need it? Yeah. It's a lot of money to add into a car. Mm. So I'm very happy to drive the 1HZ naturally aspirated. Slows me down. Long. It slows me down. Yeah. Slows me down. And then you kind of don't And work. that's safer. I mean, yeah. those V8 78s, I mean, we, we were doing the equivalent of 160 kilometers an hour in North American roads. Yeah. And that, that is a, those are checks that that chassis may not be able to cash. Yeah, yeah. So I, I actually think that the 1HZ is so well paired, it's well paired for the yeah. engine or for the vehicle because it just slows you down. 80 kilometers an hour becomes the new 160. And it's, <laughs> so, you know, when we look at a truck like this and we've had, there's a new one outside actually for one of our clients. And then, you know, you look at the new one and then you look at what we've done to it and the process of going from the basic out of the factory truck to something that's sitting behind us is <clears throat> a fair process. <clears throat> so I break it down into um, phases. So there's phase one, which you're gonna do the exterior bolt-ons. And what do you normally focus on for the exterior bolt-ons? Well, well, we'll always put a bull bar, mm. okay? Um, and what are your thoughts around bull bar? What what are some well, of the brands you like or what are some of the key, the key thing features on the that you're looking bull for? Bull bar is really about, has it been well manufactured so i don't want it to rust okay and think has it been tested that's another thing some so the airbags still airbag yeah or, well yeah. if you've, it's fitted with airbags it must still work mm -hmm. you know and not everyone can vouch for that um so yeah that's important um it's uh, the question is is it good to have a bull bar or not good well you know it's gonna save your vehicle if you're in the middle of nowhere and you hit an animal sure okay 
and that's for sure. So if it relies on you getting out with your vehicle and being safe, that's one safety feature you're putting on. Sure. Uh, how, it's like anything, you know, how you drive your vehicle responsibly, you can have a normal bump on, you know, you trash your vehicle and you've got a problem. But the bull bar is something we do fit. Sure. So bull bar, underbody protection, the rear bumper at the and back. And do you always fit a winch to the bull bar? No. No, not at all. It yeah. depends where the client's going. You know, yeah, not so everyone. If you're needs going a winch. in the desert, you really don't need a winch. Well, exactly. Yeah. You're hooking up to. That's, yeah. that's not trees well, and, and usually a Mac set of Max tracks does the trick. So. You know, Max tracks, a high lift jack and a shovel are my yeah. go-to. And I always say to folk, if you've got a set of Max tracks, a high lift jack, a wheel lift that you can hook on. A wheel yeah. lift is something you hook on the wheel and you jack up the wheel and axle together. Mm -hmm. You're jacking the high lift jack from the side and not from the back or front, which means you don't lift the whole body up. You lift the axle and sure. then you can. So effectively, if your vehicle's bogged down to the chassis and to the axles, you want to lift that up before you start trying to sure. winch it out and get it out, especially if it's in the mud. So, you know, that, those bits of kit and knowing how to use it. You know, high lift's got really bad press mm. and you get the more modern uh, hydraulic versions of a high lift jack, which are really good. <clears throat> but learn to use that. It's a tool. It's a tool yeah. that is invaluable in recovery. So learn to use it safely. And it can even be used for winching or to complement yeah. a winching yeah. operation. Yeah. yeah, you're gonna, you know, and again, if you understand how that can happen and be used, so so that another vehicle is better than a winch because yeah. you've got so much more flexibility mm -hmm. backwards, forwards, whatever. But do you have enough length on your rope? You mm -hmm. know, on your tow rope or your tow strap. If your tow strap's ten meters, quite often we'll take a synthetic winch cable and we'll just put two eyes and make it an extension, and make a much longer extension. Sure. To pull something, so and they're lightweight, and they're light. they're, they're very com they're very compact. Yeah, exactly that. So you know, when you're looking at recovery and how you're going to recover a vehicle, your question is, do you need a winch? Well, no. But certain people, if they said to me, I'm going to go through West Africa and I'm going to get engaged in a lot more mud and stuff, well, it's like an insurance policy. Hopefully, you don't use it. Yep. If you've got it, you may need it. Um, but yes, would you put it on there? And I also, I find that in scenarios like that you 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 can really help locals you can yes, people yeah. have slid off the road and then you're not exposing your vehicle to so much stress and strain yes. doing a recovery you can just slow things down use the winch pull the vehicle back up on the road you've done a good deed and it's nice to do you it. know absolutely but i think the and sometimes they're blocking the road and it's the only yeah, way through you got to yeah. get them out and you're going to help them and that, yeah. that that's always the case when you're traveling you know you know how many times you've helped someone yeah for sure but then again, know how to use the equipment safely. Yeah. A winch is very dangerous if it you is. don't know how to use it safely. Yeah, the loads are. You know, yeah, and then you know, people are hooking winches up and expecting them to pull a car out where it shouldn't be pulled out. They're going to yep. pull the bumper off. Yep. So to go back to what we do, you know, you you bolting on something on the front so to protect the car. Your your suspension is carrying the weight. Mm -hmm. of the car. So you're really going to calculate that out. And are you putting you know, a suspension which is parabolic suspension has a place in the market. Absolutely, it's, it's it's a little bit more comfortable. It's coming out. It's more favoured, and some of the guys like the ride of a parabolic suspension mm. as opposed to a normal leaf suspension. But you've got to get the suspension right. You do. You know, too high, too hard, uh, it doesn't work. So you know, if people understand the springs are there to carry the weight correctly. Mm. Balance start with the shock absorbers, and I've seen a lot of people request the most fancy, most expensive shock absorbers that they never learn how to adjust properly. Mm. 
So, you know, again, if you're fitting a suspension that's a specialized suspension, do you need it? Don't you need it? You know? It's... And making sure that that suspension is serviceable or that it has a long service life. Yeah. A lot of the race suspensions, they're designed to for a race or two yes. and then to be rebuilt. Yeah. Uh, and you don't want to try to do that in the middle of nowhere. And you, you definitely don't want to change the suspension where stock components can no longer be fitted because if you break a coil spring yeah. and you're in the middle of Zambia, it's a good chance you can find a stock 70 series spring yeah. and maybe you're sitting a little low on a corner, but you can make it to the next city to DHL in you a replacement something. or something like that. You can actually get something. So you definitely you want to really avoid customization on the suspension, custom it, shocks. You custom really shocks, um, you know, they are guys who do some remote reservoir shock absorbers. Some of them are absolutely great. Um, You know, do you need them? Well, you know, it's going to improve the ride for sure, you know. And then they just have so much more fluid volume, so they're less likely to fade and everything. Less likely and, you know, but again, have you carried spare bushes? Yeah, exactly. So when you're looking at what you're doing to the vehicle, at the same time, you've got to look at if it's an older vehicle, what are we replacing and what spares can I keep from the old parts I've taken off? Yeah. And what spares do I need to replace and carry without carrying too much? Because the whole thing is weight. So your aim is to keep the vehicle, to get the, the load, load as we all know, as low as possible to keep that center of gravity low. For sure. As we all know, that's important. Especially and on a 70. Yeah. The double cabs are, are worse in the fact that the double cabs don't carry the weight as well. They tend mm. to sit nose up. Mm. You know, and you're putting a lot of springs on the back because you've got a great big fuel tank behind the rear axle. Lot Generally, of rear bumper, two spare wheels. So you, you've got that here in South Africa. Some of us, the clients will, will extend the chassis and then you can put the spare wheels behind the cab mm. between the, the load bob bin and the, and the, and the cab. Makes sense. So that brings your weight further forward, which is what you're trying to balance that out. So, so getting the vehicle to drive properly and also tire choice. Mm. Now I've watched people, you know, do you go for steel rims or alloy rims? Question. What's your preference? Well, if someone's going out of Southern Africa, definitely steel rooms. Within South Southern Africa, you're going to find a pretty good tire place. You carry sure. two spares. There's nothing wrong with alloy rooms. You, you might damage them a bit if you use a wheel lift on them, but they balance up well and, and you've spent the money on them already. Mm-hmm. So they're good. They, they're yeah. strong enough. You know. Especially um, like a factory Toyota. Factory Toyota. Yeah, I, yeah quite, I'm, I'm talking they're about quite, factory. They're quite yeah. strong. Yeah. They are, yeah. And they, they light and they're good. Once you're going further north, you're going to find that often if you have to repair a tire, it's not always with a machine, yeah. two tire levers, yeah. and then you can damage the room and then it does for sure. seal. So, yeah, we, you know, when people come and do training, we'll teach them how to plug tires, carry, I actually pack in patches to repair the sidewalls, sure. knowing that they may not do it themselves, but a guy who can fix tires might be able to repair the tire sidewall. Mm-hmm. And if it's a temporary fix as a spare, it's, 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 it's a chance. Gets you to your next city. Yeah. And then the rear bumper is important if you're going to fit a rear bumper because a lot of aftermarket products, some of them are not all expedition um, designed for serious expedition. So you need yeah. to understand, am I actually building this truck to go on an extreme expedition where I'm going to be using this truck and getting in it for a year-long trip? And that's going to influence the different products that I would choose for the truck. Mm. And there I'm based on the quality of the product, you know. Does it, what are the, what are the chances of something breaking? And if it does break, is that a weakness in the product? Mm. Um, and that, that has to, you're not going to find that in all the sales guys. 
You don't. <laughs> for you, sure. You find it from talking to other people. People who, and some people say, that's the rack I don't want because of this weakness. Or you repair it and you just make stronger. Sure. It's you know, also okay. And what's the rear bumper that we have here on this 70? So I, this is one of my favorite rear bumpers. This is made here yeah, locally in South Africa. It's made by GobiX. GobiX is a company I have a lot of time and respect for. Um, it's owned by Chris Ingram and Shane Garcia. And these guys, Chris is the founder member. And they've built a fantastic company. This particular bumper, they've developed bumpers for most of the vehicles, all the 70 series. Mm. They've got some front bumpers they've developed. They've got underbody protection. Yeah. Their wheel carriers are, if you want to test a product, give it to the hire company. Sure. Because <laughs> exactly. we know hire companies, people who drive the trucks either don't have the experience or don't care. Mm -hmm. So your products, if it's going to break, it's going to break on a hire company. For sure. So I'm, I'm always kind of, you know, and they, these have been through the mill. These guys have refined their product. And again, yeah, it looks, it looks know, good. You can even see that, that Delrin pad that the, that the swing out slides up on looks quite robust. So it's got a, it's got a gas shock and it holds itself open. They've got service kits for them. So, you know, when I look at products like in South Africa, if it wasn't available in my country, would I import it? Mm -hmm. Well, I'd see what's available because whatever's yeah. available is going to be your best line of getting service and help. Yeah. As long as it's built and it's going to last. So anything we're bolting onto the truck, you're looking and saying, will it last the, the longevity of the expedition or the lifetime of what I'm doing? And can I service it and can I get spares and help if I need some support? And your primary goal with the rear bumper is to fit a second spare. Yeah, okay, so, so there's always that debate. Do I take one or two spare wheels? Yeah. Well, just think about it. You're middle of nowhere. You use your spare. Yeah. You high and dry if you haven't got a second spare. Sure. So then if you're looking for a garage. Again, yeah, for if sure. something happens again. And yeah. we always say it doesn't, but hell, I've had trips where I've used up both spares and more. Yeah. And you probably have. And not often. You know, maybe it's 5%, yeah. maybe even, not even as much as that. So it's the what if. Yeah. And do I take the risk or don't I? And the 70 has the payload to be able to take the second. Yeah, it does. Spare it does. tire. You yeah. know, and I think with most vehicles, if you can look at where your balance is on safety, mm -hmm. that would be a high criteria for me that I know I've got good tires and I yeah. can repair them. Or I'm going to be prepared to pull the tire with tire levers and fix it and put a tube in to reinflate it if for I sure. have to. Yeah, for sure. So, so yeah, that, that said. And I also really like a front and rear bumper because one of one of the the realities of traveling in unique places or developing places is that you you're in the cities and getting <laughs> you, getting in accidents happens yeah yeah um and by having these big bumpers on your vehicle it does inspire a bit of respect by the locals absolutely they do give you a little bit more <laughs> space when oh, they're staring gosh. at that bull bar on the front Oh, that's true. <laughs> so I think that that's one of the other advantages of a bumper is those minor fender benders or when you're parked along a road and somebody, you know, mismanages the clutch and they roll into the back of your vehicle. They, I mean, you, you may not even notice that it happened other than their paint on your bumper. Yeah. Yeah. So I do like Look, that too. It's, it, it's that insurance. Yeah, I mean, it's I've insurance. got a client to, uh, in testing his brand new truck like this and, um, he had a big accident. Yeah, that wasn't his fault. Massive big accident. Had it not had a front bull bar, it would have written the car off. Wow. I just built the car like this. So I don't want to tell you the amount of money spent on it. Right. Right off. Right. Test trip before you've started. Wow. So, you know, 
again, we're looking at you taking a truck, which is your home, and you that you're putting all your safety and everything in there. Uh, you want to make sure that it's going to get you there and back. Absolutely. So, talking a little bit more deeply about the seventy series on the seventy eight, how do you normally like to build out storage living area? What are some of the key things? that you have found works in the 78? So you've got a quite a limited space, okay? So you're trying to maximize everything in there. So it starts off by looking and saying that the biggest component that's often gonna determine what you need to, the layout, is um, is your fridge, mm. your water, okay? Now in this particular vehicle, as I said, we've got water tanks we've designed and they're in the cavities. So we've taken any water that would normally sit inside the car or under the car, and we've kept that space just for living. So you've removed the those we've, side panels, side panels yeah. and you've put water tanks yeah. in the water gap. In there. That's and we've, clever. Yeah, they've worked well. We actually That's incredibly clever. The, the rotor molds were designed by a friend of mine who owns a company who builds the true piece for me. And we've basically done the, he's, he's designed the molds and we've rotor molded the tanks. So they're filled from the rear quarters on each side. Unbelievable. So both tanks can carry 25 liters. And then the plastic tank under the back carries another. 50 and do you and do you connect the two together yeah, or do you have two fills? So you can isolate them. It means you can keep 25 liters separate and you can sort your water out. Or you can, and they'll feed from the bottom tank. And then what we've done with that, so that the basic process looks, when I sat down and started the design process, it was like I built a lot of troopies. What really worked and what didn't work? Yeah. One of the things I felt people got wrong was using the space carefully that you can access the space. Okay, mm. so when I say that, I mean, um, you've got to, if you're going to cook, you want to be able to get what you need for cooking. If you're going to get your recovery gear, you don't want to open up the whole back of the car mm. to get your recovery gear because you make yourself vulnerable. So where am I going to store everything? So mm. you really had to, I took the list of all the kits that we normally put in and figured out where would we put everything? It doesn't help to build a vehicle and then give someone a checklist of what to go and buy. Sure. And they sit there for hours trying to figure out how they're going to pack it. Yeah. And then it becomes a nightmare. So we figured out and said, okay, where is everything going to go? Now, ergonomically, when you sit in the back of the truck, remember we've cut the roof off these roofs, off this truck, and we've put on a roof which pops up to create a tent sleeping area. Mm -hmm. And when the roof pops up, so does the floor go up, so you can actually stand in the vehicle yeah, sure. when you're not sleeping. Sure. Equally, you can fit, put the floor down and you've still got a space at the back that you can climb up to the top or come down, sit down, and make a cup of coffee in sure. the tent. Sure, sure. Okay. Now, the floor- you have an early riser yeah. in, in the crew. <laughs> no, no, it's, 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 it's your wife saying, honey, can you make me a cup of coffee? <laughs> sure. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> So um, the other thing that I found is that people build the storage too high and it's a small space. And if you know ergonomically, or let's should I say aesthetically, in a small space, you need to keep things low. Mm. So um, I, we try and keep as much light into the vehicle so you can keep the windows. Yeah, keep sure. All the windows, some of them you can add gull wings that you can open up fully so you're looking for access. And that also creates this forced lower center of gravity too. It does, yeah. And then yeah. you look and say, well, okay, where do we put a fridge? Yeah. Okay, now most people want to put the fridge right at the back door. So I've divided the vehicle up and go, if this is my kitchen area, now, you know, one of our designs, the left-hand side pulls out and we've got a cooker and we've got a 
cutlery drawing, chopping board, and, and that's your cooking station. Mm. You can equally take a multi-fuel cooker and you can go and put it on the table. Mm. On the left-hand side, we've got a table that falls down, uh, which allows you to cook outside. Okay, so you can cook outside there. You can come into the vehicle if you. Very few people cook in the vehicle. Remember, yeah, you, cooking in the truck is yeah, more for Europe. Eh? For sure, and the smells. Like, I mean, you exactly. get all the cooking smells. You've got all the cooking, the mess. So yeah. generally, and you know, then I'll look and I'll say, well, if you're going to stop and make a coffee, that's the one pleasure I have. And I think often people don't take that time to stop because they don't have quick access to their coffee. Yeah, they can't make it happen that. quickly, yeah. So then it's a, it's, it's a hassle. Yeah, sure. Whereas if you stop and we've developed a coffee station, which actually sits in the back door here. Clever. Now you've got a coffee station. You can stop, open one door, drop it down, jet boil, tea, coffee, sugar, milk, and you can have a nice coffee. Nice. Okay. When you're closed up in camp, you want to climb into the vehicle. You want to be able to sit there if you wanted to do any work. And you want to be able to sit in there if you needed to for bad weather. So mm. clement weather, that's the value. One can sleep, one can sit down, watch a movie, do some work. Yeah. So you're trying to make this multifunctional vehicle where you live in and out. Sure. So a side awning gives you cover over the, the outside areas on a 270-degree mm. perimeter. So you've got a bit of shade. And then you're looking at how do we how do we do the electrical power? So we went and built a wiring loom for this truck. Um, for security, we added lights on the outside to give perimeter lighting. Nice. So at night you can have, once everything's up, you can put perimeter lights on and animals can, will stay. You can see if, you can see you if can it, see the lines. You can see if it's a lion yeah, or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> They're sitting just in the shadows waiting. Um, but that's just very true, you know, animals. Yeah, it's a good it, perimeter. It is. And it, it just gives you that one little space to go out and use the loo real yeah. quick. So, And, you know, that's one fear people have. Yeah. It's like, oh, my God, I'm going to go down. The lions are going to eat me. No, they're yeah. not. Yeah. So, you know, you, you that's, that's understandable. At least it's not likely that they will. Leopard, maybe. <laughs> they're clever. <laughs> they're clever. <laughs> they are clever. But, you know, the other thing is you get to, you get to see some amazing animals at night. And always say to folks, don't forget that the night animals come out at night. Yeah, yeah. You've got a light or torch you can put on it. It looks stunning. You can catch these animals right in your campsite. Yeah, so incredible. Now, what folks don't think about is sometimes you've got to re remove all this kit. Mm. You know, and in these designs, we've got air heaters. We've got hot water heaters running off the diesel. Um but what if you have to take this all out? Yeah. So when it's built, the floor goes down, the floor gets fitted to the floor of the vehicle, and then everything else gets fitted to the floor that you can quickly take out. It's modular, yeah. It's modular. Nice. So it's, it's important. So, you know, the focus is to, to, to modular. So when we sat down and did the designs and cleverly designed everything, the idea was can we build it in a way that we can modularly do it with a few offerings? Mm. Because the biggest challenge you have with any vehicle that you build up custom is that it doesn't get tested until you test it because it's a brand new build. Sure. It's like a house. You go into a brand new house and you test everything and hopefully it all works. And if it doesn't, the guy comes back and tweaks it. If you build the same house seven times, by the seventh rendition, you've got it pretty much right. That's right. So that's exactly what we've done here. Yeah, and it, it just looks fantastic. I even, yeah, I mean, the Molly panel for attaching small items on the back and it just looks and the, the floor looks very durable yeah just what a neat what a neat setup you've got in there yeah. and then what do you normally like to do for tires what's your what's your current go-to 
on a well, vehicle like this? It's more about what's available, mm. you know. And on the true piece, you know, you, the one H said it's not a massively big engine. So, yeah. You know, and you're also looking at what's available. So 265, 75, 16. We keep to the 16-inch rooms because yep. they're available. Yep. Um, we look at what some people will go 285s because they just look a bit better. Yeah. Okay. You can, you're gonna. There's always a compromise. I think that I think that the 265, 75, 16 has a Good lot time. of a lot of merit. We ran the 255, 85, 16 mud terrains because we knew we were going to be in so many different conditions yeah, yeah. in in our travels around the world. Um, but I'm also seeing that a lot of the newer vehicles, even in Africa, they're on a 17-inch wheel now. Yeah. So they're a 265, 70 R17. Yeah. Um, the thing so, is, you got you got more on a 16-inch room. So you remember, yeah, this is a very basic for vehicle. Sure. So if I have a problem and I go into a hunter's camp or a lodge or something, they'll have a like to have a help or lend me a tire. That's right. So that's we're always looking at what if what if scenario and how Mm -hmm. can we resolve that? Yeah, for sure. You know, and yes, it's not wrong to pull a narrower tires on. Yeah, it's in fact they they're really good. You know, they they go good. But how do you replace them? You know, that's what you're going to look at. You know, if you if you need a tire, we were lucky because we had. well, at one point we had eight spares. So, <laughs> so between How the four vehicles, <laughs> well, I I didn't have a single flat yeah, in all the travels, but yeah. Look, the mud terrains are great tires. Um, generally, if someone's going into East Africa and round out, you just don't. I won't use them. Yeah, you just don't need it. Mud terrains are great tire, as you said, for what you use. They yeah. get noisy. Yeah, very uh, noisy, very and annoying. fuel economy goes down. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, for for West Africa, I think it makes sense, but yeah, for definitely. East Africa. Yeah. Not so much. And for most of the world, an all-terrain is just a great choice. It's a good choice. Less fatigue time. on the driver and yeah. better wet weather stopping, handling. Yes. Yes. Um, if you get into ice and snow, you know, they perform better than a mud terrain does. You know, so. when you talked about what are the weak points on the vehicles, again, you know, one of the safety issues is upgrading the brakes. Yeah. And that's something that gets done on all of our trucks. Yeah. We'll upgrade them. And you've got a number of options you can do to upgrade the brakes. So. Yeah. Yeah, I think the important parts is making sure you've gone through the weak points of the vehicle, yeah. making sure you've got the safety elements right, and the suspension, the tire choice, the, the, the upgrades that you need to put in the suspension and sure. get that right. Um, to get the weight in a position where the vehicle feels comfortable to drive, mm-hmm. you know, and, and then again, you know, is the layout where you can access everything. Mm. So it's it's a very fine balance. It is a fine right? balance, isn't it? So you've probably built hundreds of 70 series <laughs> Land Cruisers in your 30 years of this profession. Um, what's your favorite model 70 series? What's your favorite? I, the favorite has to, and all of them are built. I mean, the 78 is really my favorite. Yeah. You know, I think the, I just love the fact that if, if you want to, you can climb in the back, you can mm. be in a water hole. So it's got, for me, the most amount of flexibility. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's probably the the real option that I can sleep in the truck without the roof. Yeah. Up. I can climb in the back of a water hole. It's, yeah. And if and if you were to give people advice on the, what are the top three things that they need to make sure that they do for that 78, what's the top, top three items that they need to- On any put, model of 78. Yeah. yeah. I think get the suspension right. I've mm. seen too many people with, you know, the, the suspension is not right, you know, and then choose a suspension that you can get spares and components for. 
That's really important. Um, your layout, you need to give a lot of thought to your layout. Yeah. Because you spend a lot of money on building the interior. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have to have everything. It can be a simple layout with just boxes to start. Sure. And I think often... He might be a great place to start. Because yeah, then you exactly. can move the boxes around and say, actually, I like it this way or I like it. Yeah. Or just to get a feel. So sure. I think often people start down the journey of building their vehicle from all the pictures they've seen, mm -hmm. from all the Pinterest photographs. <laughs> you know? sure. How many people bring me Pinterest photographs? And they actually haven't got enough experience. Sure. So I go with less yeah. and add to it as you go along if you need it. The, the safety critical stuff you have For to sure. Have. So yeah, that's the second thing I'd say is really important. So if someone is ready to build their 70 series to go around the world, how do they find out about you? How do they contact you? So if you go onto my website, fullmarsh4x4.com, okay. uh, they can connect with me. And what awesome. we normally always set up is a, is a way to have an initial discussion. I'll consult to them and then I'll project manage the entire build using companies that I have endorsed. Yep. And then what we'll do is we'll make sure that the car can be from purchase to when they go with training so they feel confident to go. That's the aim of what we Well, and, I've, and I've used your help in the past. We built the, the 78 series for, for <laughs> Greg and me to take to Antarctica. And we put somehow managed to shoehorn some 38s on there for sure. a short period wow. of time. Um, so I've seen your work in action. I've seen your industrious nature and your ability to pull together key suppliers and support to get projects done on time. Um, so I'm grateful for the work that you do and I'm Thank grateful you. for your time today. The 70 series is what I like to call a pinnacle overland vehicle. There are yeah. very few, um, and that is one of them. So it's something, and now that even in North America, they're 25 years old, many of them. So you can so import, now you can start importing. You can start importing yeah, them. So yeah. don't be afraid of a 25 yeah. year old. Well, I think that's the vehicle to look for because yeah. we've done a few. And, yeah, you know, exactly. Find one, rebuild it, and take Off it back you home. Go. Off you go. <laughs> thank right. you, Scott. Thank you for yeah, your time. Thanks for well. the time. Thank you. Appreciate really it. Good Paul. to catch up again. And we thank you all for listening. Go take a look at that 70 series, and we'll talk to you <laughs> next time. Thank you.